Hey, so I was having coffee today at Georgetown, and there's many coffee shops that I frequent. Caffeine is my drug of choice. And I was having coffee with my friend Paul. You may know him. He directs another great campus ministry called CO. And I like to describe myself as the dad bod skinny jean version of Paul Billings. And so I love saying that in front of him, around him. Um, I say that our friendship is predestined. But anyways, enough about that. Um, we're, having, uh, we're having coffee, and we really kind of stumbled upon this question, and it made me really think. And if I had time, I'd want to ask all of you this question, but it, it's this. is What is your favorite part about being a Christian, or what's the most meaningful part of following Jesus to you right now in this season? So whether you're here for the very first time, whether you're a life group leader at American, whether you're a strategic local church partner, say all that in one tweet, and you've been pastoring for 20 years in the city, I'd be interested to know what your response to that question would be. And, and of course, as bringing up the question, I get to share my answer. And it feels a little bit weighty, to be honest. Like, how am I going to boil down my life with Christ and like like a tweetable moment, um, and how am I going to talk about what I'm going through in my life with Christ, how, what it's like to navigate kind of pastoring and fatherhood and awkwardness. Those are three things that I major in, and I, I realize that my favorite thing right now about being a follower of Jesus is the way that Jesus sees me. Now, I know I kind of went for the Sunday school answer. I, I said Jesus, so I get like a gold star. I was homeschooled. That's okay. And so I think that for me, like I've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew with a small group at my church, NCC, and we're reading through all the Gospels in 12 weeks, and so I'm trying to keep up. And I've been reading through Matthew each day, and I came to this story in Matthew that I've seen and read many times, but I come back to this story year in and year out, and, and I can't say it another way except this story always brings new life to me. Or when I read this story, it feels like I'm drinking water and I didn't even know that I was thirsty. And so we're going to be in Matthew 11 for a few moments. And, and you can turn there. It'll be on the screens. But really, I want to set the stage for what's happening. Because I think what's happening in Matthew 11, history recorded 2,000 years ago, has deep relevance for you and I today. It's really interesting because at this point in the story of God's redemption plan through Jesus, we see Jesus is kind of towards the end of his earthly ministry. He's been speaking many places, traveling, doing miracles, signs, and wonder, or following him. He's a controversial figure, both religiously and politically. And he's in this spot, and we see the snapshot, not just of what's going on uh, in his life, but we really see a glimpse of his true character. And I really love that this is a story that has to do with John the Baptist, original Baptist. Shout out to all my Baptist friends. But John the Baptist uh, has this really interesting call on his life. The old prophets say that, that he's a voice in the wilderness. And he does this really incredible and gracious job of pointing people to repentance and pointing people to Jesus. There's even this point that I love in the Gospels where some of his own followers kind of dip out on him and follow Jesus, and he's okay with it. That's amazing. I wish I could say that it's always easy for me when like, somebody jumps from our ministry to another ministry, but it's not because I'm human. But I love that John the Baptist is so willing to not have a platform for himself, but to have a pathway to get to Jesus for others. And so it's interesting. He's living out this call of his life, and he's a pretty interesting dude for some context. He like, enjoys locusts and honey, so he's pretty much vegan, I guess. And he makes his own clothes, so he's sustainable before American University ever came to existence. And he's, he's what we'd call a hippie or a hipster, and he's just kind of like, doing life. And there's interesting contrast that some people uh, really kind of appreciate his ministry, and some people push back against his ministry. And we see that contrasted with the life of Jesus, because Jesus isn't necessarily doing those things. He's with people at the center of attention, but there's still people that follow him and also reject him. And so John the Baptist, this story is interesting. By the way, he's the cousin of Jesus, just thought I'd throw that out there. And 
it's really interesting that at this point in John the Baptist's life, he begins to struggle with doubt. He goes from a, a peculiar public figure uh, to a religious prisoner. And, and if you're anything like me and you think that prisons in America need reform, this is even worse than we could ever imagine. Malnourishment and torture were normal kind of day-to-day things. And, and he finds himself in this destitute place, isolated. And in Matthew 11, we get a glimpse of what's going on in his inner life. He actually uh, says to his disciples, because he can't just like leave prison to go talk to Jesus, he says, would you, basically, would you go to Jesus and ask if he's the one? Which is so interesting because he spends all of his ministry time preparing the path for Jesus and then pointing people to Jesus, but then he finds himself alone and he begins to ask himself, do I really believe what I have been teaching? Do I really believe in all that I have said? And so we've picked this up in Matthew 11, and I have it uh, on my app, and I want to read just a few verses. And so in verse 4, Jesus is replying, and that's kind of the situation. His cousin, a great partner in ministry, he's the one that actually baptizes Jesus somewhat reluctantly. He's facing incredible doubt. And Jesus says this to, to John the Baptist's followers that came, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So I love that. He's, he's basically reminding John the Baptist of what John has seen and letting him know it's still going on. For me, this is important as a follower of Jesus. I don't always need new information. I need to remember God's faithfulness in my own life and story. Sometimes I'm looking for that secret sauce of my devotional life or this one magical question that make my life group feel like a family. But no, I just need to remember what Jesus has done and remember who he is. And then I love this if we keep reading in verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Side note, I love how Jesus builds up someone when they're not even there. Like that's the true mark of a unified community is when someone will brag about you behind your back. So that happens in verse 7, and he says this to the crowd as John's disciples are kind of leaving, but probably in earshot, he says this, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. And what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. And then I love what he says in verse 11. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist pretty great affirmation moment. And then he kind of does a little bit like Jesus always does, mixes it up. He says, yet whoever's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's like a really emotional kind of roller coaster with Jesus. He's like, John is awesome, but the least is even better than him. And I love how we get a picture into the character of Jesus in two ways. One, I love that, that Jesus doesn't see John the Baptist and tell him to do better, but he reminds him of who he truly is. I love that he doesn't just see the best in John the Baptist, but he sees what's true about John the Baptist. And then he gives us a glimpse into the kingdom ethic that it's not about kind of becoming the greatest, because in the kingdom of God, the greatest are the least, and the least are the greatest. I love that that John the Baptist also did something with his doubts. He didn't just sit with them. He didn't just kind of think them over. Instead of allowing his doubts to distance himself from Jesus, he takes action, and then his doubts end up drawing him nearer to Jesus. I hope that that could be said of me, 
that as I deal with doubts or difficulties, as I deal with disappointment or disillusionment, that I wouldn't just sit in it, but that I would bring it to Jesus. And there's something that I like to call the almost effect, and you're probably familiar with it. You can talk about something so much, you feel like you've actually done it, like you get the emotional high of doing it. Like, I, want, I wanted to learn to play guitar like Natalie, so I picked up rock band. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's, not, it's like the almost. Or maybe like you and your friends, you talk about sharing the gospel so much, you think you've actually shared the gospel, but the reality is you haven't done it yet. Or I can talk, uh, I can talk to my son, who's four and a half, about Jesus, but that's very different than, than living like Jesus so my son could see a picture of the gospel. The dangerous thing about being in a community like this or being in a great local church is that we can wind up talking about things that we haven't actually committed to doing yet. We can end up with our doubts, with our disappointments. We can, we can know in our mind that, that God knows them, but we don't ever bring them to him. It's kind of like you understand this, like in your, in your friendships. If one of your friends, uh, let's say for me, I have like two friends, so Sean, one of them, um, Let's say Sean is having a bad day, like I could probably pick up on that, but it's very different than if he also then tells me what's going on and invites me into that space. Or I think about my son, he's in pre-K-4, it's his third week at his new school, and two days ago on the ride to school, I said, Dad, it's really hard to make friends at my new school. Heart-melting moment for me, right? And I began to talk to him about it, and I knew he was having a tough time, but it was different when he shared it and invited me into that story. And I have to wonder, is that the same experience that we have with God or that God has with us? He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in your heart and mind. But have we actually invited him into that space? You can talk to your life group leader. You can talk to your pastor. You can talk to your therapist. I do all those on a weekly basis. But if I don't bring it to Jesus, then my doubts begin to create distance between me and Jesus then the things that I'm processing that don't have an easy answer in Scripture or an experience, then those can cause me to step back from Jesus instead of stepping into Jesus. What I love about reading the Psalms, the original hymn book, is that we find that there are artists that are wrestling with the gravity of their experiences and the goodness of God. They they sing about things that seem like really terrible to sing about, their doubts and their difficulties, their sin, and how they've got it wrong. But I love their honesty. And just like Jesus speaks what's true about me, he also invites me to be honest with where I'm at. And I guess what I love the most about following Jesus is connected to that. It's that I don't have to pretend to be farther along than I actually am. That he's not surprised, but he's he's waiting and willing to step into my difficulties with me. And we see that at creation, his pursuit of us. We see that at the cross, his desire to reconcile us. And we see that in moments like tonight, in a wonderful space with lots of red carpet. We see Jesus waiting for you to invite him into your mess, invite him into your story. So if we could kind of have like one theme or, or kind of one sentence that would wrap up our time uh, in this series, it would be that you are more than your past and you are more than your worst moment. I love that the Bible doesn't just show us a highlight reel of extraordinary people, but it gives us a picture of people who are struggling to follow God and live out the values of the kingdom. I'm sure that John the Baptist really wishes this wasn't the part of his story we are talking about tonight, but it's so real, and it's so raw, and it's so relatable. 
Because maybe you're in here and you're a life group leader. You've been following Jesus for a long time, but you're in a space in your story and nobody knows what you're fighting. Nobody knows what you're up against. I think that the Holy Spirit would want to remind you that Jesus wants to be in that space with you. In the moments when you might be tempted to come up with an easy answer or to brush your feelings aside, Jesus wants to be in the mess with you. Isn't it crazy that our faith is based upon a God who would come to earth And he wouldn't come like in a super cool spaceship like I would have, but he comes as a baby into a manger. Like I would have at least picked a better time, a better time period to come like advanced medicine. If I were God, I would have come then. I would have also suggested like dying in my sleep for people, not the cross. But his love is so extravagant. He puts himself on the line so that you and I would have an honest moment with him. But what can happen in communities like this is that we can pretend we've got it all together, and then when we're apart from this community, we realize that we haven't actually started to be real with Jesus, that we haven't opened up. We've talked to our small group. We've talked to our therapist. We've shared it with a friend. We've confided in a parent, but we haven't actually brought the mess of our inner life to him. And what I love, the picture that we see in Matthew 11, the picture we see in the story of the gracious father, the picture that we see in the entirety of the New Testament is that God is waiting for us. And he doesn't just want more from you. He wants more for you. That he's not just asking you to follow another set of rules or to think of another set of standards, but he's asking you to be engaged in relationship with him. In Romans 8, where we've been for the majority of the past few weeks, I want to read a few selected verses uh, as we finish up this series tonight. So in Romans 8, there's a few that I want to highlight. But what I love about this chapter is that it's giving us a picture of the choice that you and, have, you and I have every day, to live life according to the Spirit or to live life according to the flesh. So yeah, Romans 8, 1 and 2, it's on the screen. I'll read it from there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What I love about following Jesus is that I don't have to feel that in order for that to be true. I don't have to, my circumstances don't have to necessarily reflect that for it to be real. Because when I think about areas of my life where I'm disappointed or frustrated or where I'm fighting depression or I'm navigating what it's like to live with anxiety and then be a parent and and see my son acting anxious at times, like when I'm in the mess of my life and story, it's verses like this that keep me anchored in a love relationship with God that changes everything. And I just so love that he doesn't tell John the Baptist like, hey, stop stop doubting, you're you're acting stupid. (laughs) No, but he, he invites him to remember God's faithfulness. He invites him to look at what God has done. And, and I've said this before, but I think so many of us, we forget what we're supposed to remember and then remember what we're supposed to forget. I know in my own life, I can experience a mountaintop moment with God. Maybe it's at a retreat or after welcome weeks or after giving out New Orleans-style cold brew coffee to like 200 Georgetown students and one day I'm feeling great. And then the next day I'm like, But God, are you going to show up in this other area of my life? We see that all throughout the Old Testament, that God desires to mold and shape us in the process, but sometimes, man, sometimes we're so forgetful and we want everything in this moment and we don't realize what he's building into our life and into our story. One more verse from Romans, um, if you want to put it on the screen. 
I can read it from there. Yeah, Romans 8, 10, and 11. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. I love that this is saying that if you live according to the Spirit, that will begin to affect things in the natural and in the material. That your body, which was once destined to draw you away, which was once destined for destruction and difficulty, that if you live according to the Spirit, that freedom will start in your spirit and then spread in your circumstances. That's why Paul can write to the church at Rome in another place that you can have a peace in Christ that surpasses understanding. In other words, you can have a peace that your circumstances doesn't create, but you can have a peace that is otherworldly because of what Jesus is doing in you. I want to pause uh, right now for our time of question and response. Trinity, one of our Georgetown Life Group leaders, is going to ask some questions. We'll take questions, uh, and I'll do my best to respond. Okay, the first question is, are we called to doubt? And if not, what is the place of doubt in our life? I'm going to get some water real quick. In Christ. If you just say in Christ after things, people think you're really smart, so I was just trying it out. I'm not sure if I would say we're called to doubt, but I think that if we haven't doubted, I'd be concerned that we haven't truly followed Jesus. I think because I see that in the life of the disciples, I think we see it in even James, the brother of Jesus, who doesn't come to recognize who Jesus is until later on in life. I think that a lot of times, my uh, most rigidly held beliefs are the ones that have been untried by experience or circumstance. But I tend to have more of an open hand, gracious view of Jesus and those around me when I'm honest about what parts of Scripture are difficult. To, I think to the pastor or to the student who says, like, I love everything in the Bible and it's not weird at all, that scares me. Because there's like a lot of the Bible that like makes me really uncomfortable in my postmodern hipster sensibilities, like the entire first half of the Bible, which our next series, by the way, will be from the book of Genesis. So there you go, series shout out. Next question, Trinity. When it comes to inviting people into our messes, when should we press pause? What is the role of discernment when it comes to oversharing? Whoa. Georgetown seems like, oh, this guy's new. We don't know how he's going to do in front of our friends. Appreciate that vote of confidence, table three. My Chi Alpha director, Craig, told me this, and it was really helpful. He said, it's important to show people your scars, but not bleed on people. See what I did there? Boom, brought a quote. It's always my fallback. Always my fallback. Yeah, I, I think that discernment is, is so key. It's one thing that I love about Ignatian spirituality. The Jesuits are great at discernment. I think that as a, as a Pentecostal, like, I hope that I'm living in tune with the Spirit, that the Spirit's voice is louder than my own. And I think the gospel, the, the most difficult part of the gospel for me is that God cares about our motivations, that I can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and I still don't get, like, extra credit in heaven. And so I think I'd have to ask that person, and I have to ask myself this when I'm preaching here, when I'm uh, leading a DNA group, 
uh, with guys that I mentor, like, what is the purpose or why am I sharing? Sometimes I share uh, to get validation that maybe I should seek from God first. It's kind of like how in staff meeting, like, if I ask for feedback, that's really code for, I'd like affirmation today, I'm having a tough day. And some people know that, and some people are still learning that, that are new on the team. But like, hey, feedback on this idea I spent 10 hours on, that's code for, I really need a boost in affirmation, guys. But I think I'm learning that in my own life with Jesus, that who I turn to first says more about what I believe about myself and God than anything I would say I believe about myself or God. And I think that it's so easy to swing from one end to the other. So like in my own story, like, you know, growing up, I'm, I'm sure I had, like, my anxiety disorder for, like, forever. Um, but I grew up in a church that was like, oh, no, that's not blah, 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 you know. And then it's like I can swing so far on the pendulum and then think, like, everything through the filter of, like, oh, my therapist says this or this is what my mental health diagnosis is. I feel like we can, like, swing, and I feel like the Lord's, like, asking us and calling us uh, t- to be real with him but to always look to him. Uh, a friend of mine, Josh, uh, said this lovingly to me. He said, hey, man there might be some part of your struggle with anxiety that's spiritual, and I wouldn't want you to miss out on thinking through that. And I was like, well, forget you, dude. I mean, that was my initial fleshly response. There was other F words I thought about saying too, but like forget you. Um, But yeah, I think it was really helpful to realize that there is spiritual underpinnings to all the world around us. And that gives me hope because... The name of Jesus is above all names. And it's above all names on days where I'm trusting him, and it's still above all names on days when it's difficult to trust him. So, yeah, that's how I would answer that. Hey, as the worship team comes up uh, to lead us in a song of response, as a reminder, one of the reasons that at the end of every service we respond in worship is because we don't preach or teach for applause or affirmation. We do it so that we'd have an action, a response to who God is. In other words, that we would turn our attention and our affection to him, and that in that moment, we would be changed. Here's what I want to encourage you. You don't have to fight for a position in the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to fight. You don't have to fight to figure out who you are, but the gospel is discovering that God already knows, and then coming to the place of acceptance of that truth. You're here in this room, whether you came all the way from Georgetown, God bless you, from American, another random university, you're welcome here too. You're here because for some reason, spiritual life matters to you, and you think that this community can help you on that journey. And I think that you're right. But I think that you could go throughout your entire time in college, and you could become really good at Christian community, or you could become really good at following Jesus closely. Those don't always look the same. A few years ago, I realized that I was producing really good Chi Alpha student leaders, but was I producing lifelong followers of Jesus? It's not an easy conversation to have, but the reality is that the success of what we do in life groups and ministry, we don't find that out tomorrow or with when you show up, but in 10 or 15 years, are you loving the local church? Are you serving in mission? Are you engaged in discipleship? Are you giving irrationally? Are you generous towards kingdom causes? You may be going through stuff that no one knows about. You may feel misunderstood, mistreated. You may have people even in this community that think things about you that aren't true, that speak things about you that aren't realistic, 
that either hold you on a pedestal high or they speak words that don't bring life, but whatever you're going through, the answer isn't this community. I like to say it like this, community makes a terrible Jesus. It doesn't have power to heal you or transform you. It'll probably only be in your life in this state for a few years, but Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you in campus ministry. He wants to meet with you in the local church. He wants to meet with you honestly for the long haul. And I can't make that decision for you. You have to make that decision for yourself. Will you let Jesus into your mess so that your story can be redeemed for his glory in your maturity? Are you willing to live in that Romans 8 reality that he's working together all things for good? And what good is that? He defines it so you be conformed to the image of his son. Sometimes I, I wish that the Christian life just led me to security and comfort, but instead it leads me on a crossword journey with my eyes towards eternity. So as we pray, why don't you stand with me as you're able? We're going to sing songs of, a song of worship. The altars are open. Be staff on the sides. Maybe you need to pray with a life group leader. Maybe you're a life group leader, and you need to be honest with God about some things in your story and your past. You're listening to the voice of who you were and not to the voice of Jesus who's talking about the truth of who you are. God, we pray that you would meet with us, that you would speak to us clearly and boldly in our, in our life, that you'd call us some, to something higher, that you'd speak the truth about who we are and whose we are. God, that we wouldn't let our difficulties define us, that we wouldn't let our anxieties, our depression, our circumstances, or even our hopes and dreams define us. We would let you define us out of trusting you. In your name we pray. Amen. Like I said, staff will be on the sides to pray. Altars open. You can put a prayer request in the prayer bucket. But man, please steward this moment well. Don't let it pass you by.